Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us, for these wonderful hymns that we were able to sing before your throne, Lord, and to meditate on the words. And Lord, I thank you for everybody that's here today, for the residents, that you would continue to bless them with good health. Lord, that you would guard my tongue when I speak today, and that all of our thoughts and our praise before your throne is for your glory. And Jesus, we thank you for being our God, Father, for sending your Son to die for our sins, and that your Holy Spirit would be here and bind any evil so that you would be more glorified, Father. And we love you, God. Bless us today. Amen. So today's um, Bible passage is very interesting. It talks about where there was a man with a dumb spirit, and he was brought before Christ. And this was in the presence of many people. The Bible, there's several parallel passages that deal with this, but it doesn't say how many people were there, but there were many people present. And somebody that has a demon spirit, it's apparent to other people, especially to believers. And this person had a dumb spirit in that he could, his mouth was bound. He couldn't speak. And Jesus cast out this demon. Jesus, as God, has all power, including over the spirit world. And when he cast out this demon, the people were amazed. They immediately could see a, a positive result. And some people, in their spirit, would worship. But some people, in a fallen spirit, they said that Jesus was doing this through the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub being another name for Satan. So we can see there's a division here amongst the people, and that's what we're going to explore a little bit today. And all of the verses that, all of the scriptures that God gives us, it's so we can better understand God, the Father, and that if we're saved, we're his children, and he loves us. And the verses here are to instruct us and to give us more insight into the spirit world. So let's look at this. Um, Luke eleven fourteen, And he was casting out a, a devil. He was casting out a devil. And it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. You know, Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, and against powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Satan is the prince of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, it's interesting when you look at the word here in Greek for powers, it's talking about a supernatural power. Satan is a supernatural power. And it also talks about the delegation of this power. So Satan is only one being, but he controls a demonic army. And if, to get sort of a number, we don't know for sure how many demons there are, how many devils there are in the world. But in Revelation, it talks about the angels before God's throne. And it says ten thousands of ten thousands. That's a hundred million. 
and thousands of thousands, so that's even more millions. So let's just say there's a minimum of 100 million. We know that a third of the angels fell and rebelled. So there's at least 51 million demons. And that's a lot of demons. And because they're in an order under Satan, they have principalities that they control, the powers of darkness of this world they control, and they have spiritual wickedness in high places. So Satan is going to go where he can have the biggest influence over our soul. And in today's world, it's probably the media. When you look at the, the media, they, they give a, a, a communication that they want us to hear. And they control the internet. And much of the internet is used for evil. Much of it can be for good. I used the internet to do some research for this message today. But if you look at television, if you look at the, the sound, the, the music that the kids listen to today, most of it is evil. Praise God for the music that you shared this morning with us, men. Because that's worshiping our God. But most of the music and the media is controlled by Satan because he has the spiritual wickedness in high places. 2 Corinthians says... Four, three, if we, but if our gospel is hid, it is hid from the lost. You know, by the, 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 um, the verses of scripture are hid from the lost. And it goes on to say, in whom the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. So many people, they go after the things that are glittery and bright and the big cars and the nightclubs and fancy clothes and jewelry. That's Satan blinding the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God should shine upon them. You know, if we take away all of the clutter of this life and set it aside and just try to get peace in life and listen to the Holy Spirit his still, small voice will talk to us. Let's not get so wrapped up in the world today. But some of them said, he casts out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. Beelzebub and some variations of that name are used several times in the Bible. And a definition of Beelzebub, just for our benefit, is in the Greek form is the name Beelzebub. He was a pagan Philistine god, and he was worshipped in ancient Philistine of Ekron during the Old Testament times. It's a term signifying Lord of the Flies. And excavations in ancient Philistine sites have uncovered golden images of flies. So they worship Beelzebub as a god of the flies. It says, after the time of the Philistines, the Jews changed the name to Beelzebul, as used in the Greek New Testament, and this means Lord of the Dung. So when they were calling Jesus Lord of the Flies, Lord of the Dung, that was blasphemy. And it says here that um, Beelzebub was also known as the God of Filth, which later became a name of bitter scorn in the name of Pharisees. So when they were casting this name at Jesus, they were scorning him. Well, that, that is blasphemy. 
the, the people of Israel, they had a history of blaspheming God. All the way, all the way back to when you think about, well, Cain killed his brother Abel. But once Moses led the people out of Egypt, it was very interesting because we have a history of the Israelite nation and they're constantly falling into sin of idolatry. And Psalm 106, 34 through 37 to 40 give us an insight. It says, Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled with their own works, and they went a whoring with their own inventions. Therefore, was the wrath of God kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. In today's land, our country has blood on our hands. We, through convenience, promote abortion. And there's been like 50 million babies who have been aborted since Roe versus Wade back in 73. And we're, that's no different than the Israelites who offered their babies, they killed their babies to the god Moloch. What is the difference if we're sacrificing our children to the god of convenience? Or the god of, I'm not ready for a baby yet. Or the god of, I have to finish my education. Or the god of, I can't afford this baby. Or the god of, I don't want this intrusion in my life. America is guilty of that. And God, back in this generation, said he abhorred his own inheritance. We're quickly becoming a nation that's in that presence of God. And that's the standing we have. In um, Matthew 12, 31 and 32, it, it talks about blasphemy that they were doing to Jesus that that was bordering on the unforgivable sin. There is an unforgivable sin, and it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And these verses discuss it. It says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. These Pharisees were blasphemy, Jesus, and they were bordering on that unforgivable sin, of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. These verses say, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And in our society, we blaspheme the Holy Spirit. There are some, in fact, um, my son Christian brought this to my attention a few years ago. I guess there's a website where kids, they have college kids that go onto this site and they blaspheme the Holy Spirit saying, I want to go to hell. It's crazy. Why would you do that? But we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit in many ways in our life. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and if we say, no, I don't want to listen to you, that's a form of, that's a form of disobedience. And we don't know when we're treading that line that becomes unforgivable. You know, the thing is, 
God says if we draw nigh unto him, he'll draw nigh unto us. And the best relationships we have in life are where we communicate and there's, there's no, there's no um, bad blood. My, um, my daughter-in-law's father passed away last Saturday. And he was living in Peru and he had a very bad relationship with his family. So bad that when he died, nobody went to visit him and he was dead for several days. They found his body on Wednesday. And it's because he had such a bad relationship with his family that nobody wanted to go visit with him. And his sister, who lives in New York City, who calls him and he didn't answer, finally, they had the family members go to, and the TV was on, they said, oh, he's fine, and they didn't knock on the door, and they left. So finally the neighbors, she called the neighbors and they found him. That's a bad relationship. We don't want those kind of relationships in our life. We want peace and harmony. And the only way to do that is to reconcile, mostly, firstly, with God. Initially to be saved, but every time we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And others tempting him said, sought of him a sign from heaven. How many times in our life do we want signs before we do things? It's sort of like human nature. You know, people will, I'll take that job if this happens. Or I'll go on this vacation if that happens. And they were coming to Jesus and they were, it says, tempting him. And they sought a sign from heaven. And yet, right in their presence, a demon was cast out. Jesus said, if you don't believe me, my words believe me for the miracles I do. He just cast out a demon and they're saying, hey, send us a sign. It's amazing. It's amazing their unbelief, their reason to protect their turf, so to speak, and to not acknowledge him as God, it was so so apparent. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 23, the top verse on your next page, it says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. You know, these are the things, the Jews were looking for a sign. And we're Greeks, most of us here, we would fall under the you know, we're not, we're not Jews, we're Gentiles, so we're Greeks. And it says, we seek after wisdom. But Paul said, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. How many people, when we talk to them about God, they just say, no, I don't want to hear it. To them, that's foolishness. And, you know, in, in Matthew it says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall be no sign given but the sign of the prophet Jonas. What was the sign of the prophet Jonas? Well, Jonas was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. And the Bible says, and as Jonas was in the belly of the the whale three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the center of the earth, in the heart of the earth, three days and three nights. And then he will rise from the dead. That's the sign. So when Jesus was crucified, the, 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 the Bible, the gospel message, he was the death, burial, and resurrection, right? For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Okay? That's the sign of Jonas. Jesus would be crucified on Golgotha 
And three days later, he's going to rise from the dead. And many of those people that were present and saw the miracle of the demon cast out would remember these words. And they would say, oh yes, that was Jesus, the son of Mary, God. Okay, so the second point of my message here is a house divided will fall. And when I think about a house divided, what comes in my mind is an everyday house with a husband and a wife and children. And in that house, if there's bickering, if there's arguing, if there's anger, if there's enmity between the mom and the dad, it's going to spill over into that family. And so often in America, that ends up in divorce. The husband and the wife, they get angry at each other, they become bitter, and they say, I'm out of here. And they file for divorce. That's a perfect picture of a house divided. Now Jesus is using the logic, if you're saying, I'm of Satan, and I'm casting out this demon by the power of Satan, by the power of Beelzebub, that's a house that's going to be fighting against itself. It cannot stand. Just like that marriage will end in, in corruption and divorce, the same thing is going to happen in the spiritual world. If I'm fighting, if I, if I am on Satan's side and I'm fighting against Satan, that doesn't make any sense. Okay? So he says, but he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against itself falls. But he knowing their thoughts. You know, Jesus knows every one of our thoughts. That's amazing and it's kind of scary. The Bible says we're supposed to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And in our, our world today, that's, that's very hard to do. You know, because... Most of our thoughts, they're in and out of our, our, our heads so fast, we don't, we don't give it a second thought, right? But God says, knowing their thoughts. So he knew the thoughts of these people. Some of them were voicing their thoughts, and many of them were very quiet. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he said every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Romans one twenty one says, because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And this is talking about somebody who's slipping into apostasy. Somebody who's tasted of the bread of life. They know God. It says here in Romans 1.21, because that when they knew God, Everybody knows God. Even the atheists, they know God. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Our purpose, as you mentioned, is to bring glory to God. That's why we're here. I've been going through the plagues in Exodus with my two youngest sons, Josiah and Justice. And last week we were talking about where at the end of the plagues... Pharaoh finally releases the Israelites. They're in the, in the desert, and they're coming up to the Red Sea. And Jesus talks to Moses, and he says, Okay, let me show you the glory that I'm going to do on Pharaoh and his hosts, his armies. 
In other words, let me show you my glory as I destroy his army. Do you know the people in hell are for God's glory? The people in heaven are for God's glory. Everything that happens is for God's glory. You know, we don't know the end game. God's ways are above our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. But it's all for God's glory. Just as he destroyed Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, it was for his glory. And the same way people will go to heaven or hell, it's for his glory. It's all for God's glory. Luke eleven eighteen says, If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. You know, Romans 16, 17, 16, verses 17 and 18 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, this is Paul speaking, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. You know, a lot of people want to bring into our life bad thoughts. They want to bring into our life bad philosophies. In church, there's a lot of churches that want to bring into the realm of theology, bad scripture. Well, not bad. There is no bad scripture if it's true scripture. But they want to bring in and twist the word of God. Or they want to omit passages. Or they want to add on to passages. And by twisting scripture, they are contrary to the doctrine that Paul was teaching. It says, for they are such, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And this is speaking to the preachers. They serve their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. In our life, we have to be very, very careful because every one of us in our own little way, when we get off on our own path, we become in some way simple and we can become deceived. Just like a little child, you can tell them something when they're four and they believe it. Many times we can get into the realm of the world and believe the world's lies. And it's contrary to what God wants for us in our life. And God says, mark them which cause divisions and offenses. It's our job as a Christian to be diligent about what's attacking our soul. You know, two weeks ago, Pastor Farrell, he preached a message that we shouldn't look at people, you know, in our beautiful clothes. He said, look at people as souls. And sometimes we need to look at ourselves as a soul. Forget about, you know, what we're wearing or did I shave or whatever. I am a soul on my way to judgment. All of you in this room are a soul on your way to judgment. You need to be diligent about the things that matter to God because they do matter to us when we go into eternity. Matthew 20, 10, 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is what God is telling us. I read in the news a couple of days ago that um, the jihad of Islam 
they turned up in Davao, which is this poor city in the Philippines. And this group of terrorists went into the town center and they blew up a bomb that killed 15 people and wounded another 60. Okay? And that's evil. Our church supports a, 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 a missionary who's in General Santos City, which is not that far away. And we need to pray for our missionaries. It's an American missionary. And the same group, they beheaded a Canadian reporter several months ago because the Canadian government didn't pay the ransom that they wanted. Okay? It's easy to fear things like this in our life, especially if you're in that community. God says, fear not them which kill the body. Our fear is to God, to Jesus, to Jehovah, his Holy Spirit. Because he says, I am able to kill the soul and body in hell. Fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, yes? And knowledge of the holy. All right, so Luke eleven nineteen, And if by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? And therefore shall they be your judges. You know, Jesus was speaking to a, a, a community of people that knew him. There were thousands of people that he fed. There were literally thousands of people who followed him. Many of them just wanted the miracles. They wanted to see the miracles. Or they had an urgent need. They had somebody with leprosy, somebody who was lame, somebody who was blind, somebody who was on a stretcher. Jesus did miracle after miracle after miracle, and they knew he was special. Nicodemus says, we know you are a, you know, a, a man come from God. No man can do these miracles except he come from God. And they knew he was special. Jesus also sent out the 12, it says in Mark 6, 7, and began to send them forth by two and two and gave them power over unclean spirits. So Luke eleven nineteen says, Your sons, therefore your sons will be your judges. And their sons were casting out demons. Now, if Jesus was casting out demons and they were saying he was doing it by Beelzebub and their sons were casting out demons, Jesus is saying, how are they casting them out? Are they also in league with Satan? You know your own children. Jesus is laying out in truth why they need to be saved. Luke 11, 3 says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And if you repent, forgive him. You know, so many people are quick to say that those verses in the in the Sermon on the Mount, judge not lest you be judged, right? For with the same judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And that's an easy cop-out. Because God wants us to have a discerning spirit. He wants us to judge people. He wants us to be able to discern between the evil influences against our soul and the good influences, the good preaching, the Christians who iron sharpens iron. Okay, the last point of my, my message this morning is Jesus saves us from the wrath of God caused by our sins. In Luke eleven twenty, 20, Jesus said, If I with the finger of God cast out devils, 
no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. The kingdom of God was in their presence. And as soon as you're saved, you come into the kingdom. So he was speaking to those people who were not saved, who were outside the kingdom. But he said, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. No doubt the kingdom is right here in front of you. I am God. I have authority over the spirit world. I just showed you a miracle. I cast out this demon. And you're wondering at the miracle. Get saved. Repent of your sin. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 was a prediction, a prophecy of what Jesus would do. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the, lamb, the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. That last part of that passage is speaking in the spirit world. The wilderness shall waters break out. You know, once you are saved, the waters of the living Jesus fill the wilderness of your sin. When we're not saved, before our date of salvation, we are walking as a lost man in the wilderness, the wilderness of sin. But once the water of life enters our life, we're no longer in that wilderness. We're on our way to heaven. And it says streams in the desert. And God is a living stream of water. He is the water of life. And have you all at this in this room, have you taken, a dr taken of a cup and drunk freely of that water of life? Drink, the well is deep. You can never fill up enough with the water of God in your life. Mark 5, 6, and 7 says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Here was another, another evidence that Jesus had control over the demonic world. This man, through the power of that demon, was begging Jesus not to torment him. Not to send him into the lake of fire before his time. Luke 11.21 says, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. You know, when, when Satan has the people that are lost in the world, there's really nothing that's penetrating that, that veil of darkness. There's no war going on. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise your head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the first evidence that God was going to defeat Satan. All the way back in the third chapter of Genesis. This is the first verse that talks about Jesus coming. And he's going to crush Satan. Satan will bruise his heel at the cross by God's choice, but Jesus will destroy his kingdom. Matthew 16, 18 says, But I say unto thee, Father, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
Not that Peter was, you know, the first pope or that the church was built on him. But rather, Peter was the first instrument used in Acts where 5,000 people were saved in one day. The church started where Peter was a used instrument, along with the other apostles. Upon this rock, and if I remember from looking at this, in, in, I've got a, a, a software, you can click on it. Peter is Petra, which means little rock. And this rock is, I think it was Petros, that's Jesus is the big rock. So Peter is just a little one, a little chip off the block, so to speak. And that's what we are. When we became a Christian, we became, God is dwelling in us and we're part of the kingdom. And it says, the last part of this verse, the gates of hell shall not prevail against Jesus' church. God's church will win the war. It may seem like we're losing sometimes in our personal life. We can be depressed. Yesterday I was talking to this lady, and um, her mom has a spirit of depression. And she was asking, well, what do you think I can do? And she's, she professes to be a Christian. And I remember a pastor saying this, if any of us are battling depression in our life, before you go to bed, get out a piece of paper, and write down ten things that you're thankful for. Just write down ten things that you're thankful for. And then set it aside. And do that every night for 30 days. And at the end of that month, that therapy of thanking God every day, going through whatever that list might be, and you can change the list. You know, one day you might be thankful for a body that doesn't ache. And the next day you might be thankful for a, a visit from your children, right? But be thankful. And that's the way we get rid of that spirit of depression. Be thankful for the things God gives us. See, in Luke eleven twenty two, it says, When a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh away all his armor, wherein he trusted and divided his spoils. You know, in the Old Testament, we saw many times where the nation of Israel would go in and they would conquer a nation. And sometimes Jesus would say, the spoils are mine. Like when they knocked down the walls of Jericho. Actually, the walls fell out. God knocked the walls down. Because the excavation shows that's a miracle that they fell this way because most of the time an army would ram the walls in. But God said, everything in that, all the gold and all the silver is mine. It's later they were going to build the temple. God was preparing that. And here, this verse is talking about there's an, a war going on and somebody will overcome, and this is Jesus overcoming the kingdom of Satan. One of my favorite um, preachers, he's dead, but he has a lot of writings as A.W. Pink. And he really is a deep writer. I love to read what he says. And this is a quote from him. It says, Repentance does not save. Yet no sinner ever was or ever will be saved without repentance. 
None but Christ saves. That's true. Only Jesus saves. But an impenitent heart cannot receive him. How true that is. You know, God, we're in a spiritual war. And Satan wants to protect his turf. The people who are not saved, those souls, that's his turf he wants to protect. But God says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. Not to be, not to be lost. Once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. You can't repent from your rep true repentance unto salvation. But the sorrow of the world works death. You know, the wages of sin is death. And the people that are lost, their soul goes to hell, and at the great white throne, then their body and soul are cast into the lake of fire. And that's the second death. We, we want to be alive in Christ. That's the promise we have. It's the free gift of eternal life. It's a gift. We don't have to earn it. Ephesians 2, 1 and 3 says, And you hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in a time past you walked according to the course of this world. You were lost on your way to hell. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. You know, all the people that are lost, they're in disobedience against God. And Satan is working in their lives. Among, among whom also we had our conversation. Conversation being our lifestyle. What we did in our life. In times past in the lusts of the flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Okay? Most of our sin takes place in the flesh or in our mind. That's how we sin. We actively do things. Or we can be sitting in our bed sinning. By our thoughts. And it says we're by nature the children of wrath. The children of wrath by nature. Our first nature is fallen. For as by one man sin entered into the world, that's through Adam, and death by sin, and so that death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We all have Adam's nature. We're all sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Okay? And when you're not saved, you're a child of wrath. Wrath is God's anger. And without salvation, you will stand before that great white throne, and you will have to take the wrath of God for eternity. That's a scary proposition, especially when the grace of God that brings salvation, that brings the way to heaven has appeared to all men. The flip side of that is God saves. Revelation 12.10 says, And I heard a voice, a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, Satan, is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. You know, Satan is the great accuser. And many times, when we fall into a pattern of sin, he will speak to us. Oh, you're no good. You can't be used of God. 
But you know, God is above all that. The Bible says God is our advocate. Advocate means intercessor. In Russian, the word advocate means lawyer. So in some ways, Jesus is our lawyer before God. And when Satan speaks into our life because of the sin that we've done, cast off that burden, bring that sin before God, confess it, and now he's made you clean of your unrighteousness. And now we're totally free to be used of God again. The last verse today, he that is not with me is against me. Are you with God today? Or are you against God? It says, he that gathereth not with me scatters. See, Jesus makes it very simple. You're either with God or you're against God. You're either for the kingdom or you're against the kingdom. You either gather. Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. Are we gathering the souls into the kingdom? That's our job. If you're a Christian here today, your job is to gather the souls. And the most powerful weapon we have against Satan is prayer. And you can do that in a chair. You can pray for a missionary. Pray for my son. He's in China. They started a new semester. He's a student there learning Mandarin, but he's a missionary. And this past Monday, they started a new semester, so there's a lot of new kids that came in. And he found four, well, four Christians. One of those was an American. He's so excited because now they're going to be able to start a Bible study. Because he didn't find any Christians there on that campus. Pray for our missionaries. God wants to use them. And you can pray anywhere. I can pray driving my car. You can pray sitting in your chair, in your room, on your bed. Pray. Pray for those soul winners. God will reward you. Psalm, our Proverbs 14.32 says, The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous has hope in his death. You know, one day we're all going to die. Just like my, daughter's, my daughter-in-law's father passed last week, by the way, he was my age. It kind of freaked me out that he was dead already. Okay? We don't know when our appointed date is going to come. But Jesus says here, the righteous have hope in our death. You know, we're walking through the life. We're a pilgrim on the earth when we're saved. And one day we will enter into glory. And what a wonderful day that will be. Psalm 32.10 says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. We have mercy with God now on earth, and we have mercy when we enter into eternity. But the Bible says, He that despised Moses' law, under two or three witnesses, there is no mercy. When the wicked and the lost die, there's no more mercy. You have to have God's mercy on this side of eternity, on this side of death's portal, before you walk through that door of death. Matthew 13, 49 and 50 says, 
So shall it be in the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever, separate the wicked from the just, the saved, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. There is a heaven, and there is, as the verse here says, a furnace of fire. And my prayer is that all of us will enter into the glory of God into heaven one day when our, when our path on this earth is done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, Jesus, that you have all power, that you can save any soul, that you died for all men. And Lord, um, if we have a, a godly sorrow for the sins that we have done, that godly sorrow comes from you, Lord. That is how we repent. And godly sorrow works repentance onto salvation. And Jesus, one day all of us will stand before you. And my prayer is that all of us would be in the kingdom when we stand before you. Jesus, you died on the cross, you shed your blood, and you have the power over life and death in our soul. And we love you, Father. And let us have a wonderful week this week where you would give us opportunities to serve you and to better know you and to hear your still, small voice in our life. And we love you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Amen.